0: Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of histopoly Hopefully we got something really nice lined up for you today. But before we hop right into that, I do want to make a little announcement. We have opened up a Patreon, so if anybody wants to uh, be so generous as to give us a little, a little boost uh, so we can keep doing what we want to do here, uh, look us up there. We got uh, two different tiers. Look into it, see how you feel, give us some feedback. How do you feel about it? But uh, besides that, uh, let's hop right into it. So today we're going to be looking at the advanced relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom from the onset of post-13 colonies in the uh, United States and, of course, modern United Kingdom. So starting off with the obvious, the uh, relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom obviously came off to a very rough start originally. Uh, Post-American Revolution, because that's, that's the point where we're really going to use as the start point here. Um, Post-American Revolution there is a bit of a split between the people of the united states um there's that distinct difference between the democratic republicans who continue to sway more towards the french uh, diplomacy and then there's the federalists who still are a little bit loyal well not loyal but they lean more towards being friendly with great britain uh so that's that, that's something that is a split for a long period of time, which is a back and forth and a back and forth between the different presidents before we kind of establish into this Democratic-Republican domination for uh, a few decades. And that's when we see the War of 1812. And the War of 1812 is kind of like a catalyst of, that, of, of really the end of the American Revolution. I'm thinking about doing a little bit of a deeper analysis into the War of 1812 that causes, the cause effects uh, post and after, uh, before and after. Uh, at a later time, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. But what's important to know is the War of 1812 is really a second American Revolution. There is a lot of tension between the two nations. Obviously, the United States is a, is attempting to expand north into Canada and also to push back against British oppression that they feel is still ongoing, even though they are an independent nation. Uh, of course, Britain is, you know, taking their sailors, taxing them, forcing them to port in Great Britain before the rest of Europe, and and all this stuff. Um, but afterwards, they do have a little bit more of a respect for each other. Obviously, they, the the treaty ends up basically being just a stalemate. So no one truly wins the War of 1812. No one really loses the War, the war of 1812. Besides the Native Americans, really. Um, but at that point, we see. Um, an advancement in the relationship already because there is a little bit more respect the United Kingdom has for the United States, which uh, a lot of people feel like there wasn't beforehand. Um, and then before before another advancement occurs, it, things are going a little bit smoother for a long period of time. Of course, you have to remember at this time, the United States is not really a global power in the sense that we know it today. They're, they're still a young nation. They're still trying to figure out really who they are on the global stage. And this kind of culminates through James Monroe's uh, announcement of the Monroe Doctrine, which uh, essentially says that we are the protectors or the, the only ones who really can have a say on what's what here in the two American continents. But of course, uh, like, like what I just said, the Americans' power was a little bit lower than perhaps really would be capable of commanding such an such a announcement like that. So we jump forward to 1833, and of course, the United Kingdom still wants its colonial empire, still wants to be pushing, and they feel like they still have the right to do that. So they land a force uh, in the Falkland Islands uh, off the coast of Argentina, which, if you know anything about United Kingdom politics and recent empire history, they th- that is a conflict that's been going on for a long period of time between the United Kingdom and Argentina, back and forth, who truly owns these islands, but in 1833, they landed a force there, so according to the Monroe Doctrine, that should mean that the United States should put up a fight against that and stop this invasion of sorts into the American uh, continents. But uh, we don't really see that. There is no clear proof that that, that even uh, an idea for that had begun. It seems like America was kind of like, well, it's a small little bit. They kind of convinced themselves it's not truly a part of the American continent. It's a little bit off. It's It's just these islands. We're not really going to put our foot down on this. So Great Britain doesn't really feel like they have anything to worry about at this time. It's still not really a huge issue for their nation. They still feel like the Monroe Doctrine was a little bit of a loose document. Which is why I think it's extremely important that in 1842, the United States kind of does put their foot down eventually, with the British attempting to kind of start interfering more in uh, Hawaii uh, in little islands in the Pacific, they really put their foot down on that one. They say, "You don't really have the right to do this." And I think this is a big moment that kind of shows that the United States is starting to become more of a global power because the United Kingdom kind of takes a step back. They kind of they they they, they submit to that and they and they pull out of Hawaii uh, once again, just like I spoke about in the in the Captain Cook episode that came just before this. Uh, the, the United Kingdom has a continued struggle with Hawaii. They're they always having that pushback, so I think that's also another reason why uh, they were a little bit more ready to kind of throw in the towel on this colonial venture and let America kind of do whatever they want to do in Hawaii, protect it, take it over, whatever it is. Um, they the, the the United Kingdom kind of sees this and they, and they take that step back, which I think is really important for their relationship, respect-wise, and the overall respect of the united United states on a a global stage which they're still kind of spreading their wings out because they've only been a country for less than 100 years at this point and now we're starting to get into when things start to become extremely complicated between the nations because if you're looking at it it looks like this relationship is starting to get a little bit better and that they're starting to become a little bit friendly but there is a bit of a pivot point here uh, in the 1860s during the american civil war So obviously, the United Kingdom has already at this point abolished slavery, they're becoming friendlier with the United States government, you would assume that there would be a lean towards uh, the Union support-wise, sending them supplies, helping money, whatever, loans, however it is, Um, but what's very interesting is that's clearly not the case, there's a clear twist towards the Confederacy, which is interesting, but it's, it's mostly an economic thing, you see the the United Kingdom was importing an extremely high amount of American cotton uh, at the at this point, and and they wanted to obviously keep that supply chain going. They weren't one hundred percent confident in the Union's ability to put down the Confederacy, and actually the United Kingdom was even thinking about formally recognizing the Confederacy, and that's when we run into the Trent Affair, which is. The Confederates had sent out a boat of diplomats heading towards the United Kingdom to work out more trade offers, more diplomatic ventures between the two, uh, whatever whatever was going to turn out being. But the United States Union Army I- intercepted this boat, and they obviously get a little bit pissed off at, uh, at the United Kingdom and, and the Confederacy for doing this. Um, but then the United Kingdom kind of gets mad at this because they're kind of like, you're not allowed to tell us who we can and can't speak to. If we want to go speak to the Confederacy, we can. But in the Union's eyes, the Confederacy is not really a country. They're just part of the United States that's messing around, pretending they have a government and obviously rebelling. So th- that's a little bit of a tension between the two. Uh, the United Kingdom is firmly backing the Confederates, though, Um but now they have to do it in a, in a lot more of a low key way uh, because they are afraid they don't want to have to they don't they will not jump into this war in any way. Obviously the Confederates have are kind of pushing towards that and they would like that, but there there's there was never any chance that they were going to hop onto this. So the Confederates are pushing for this. They're pushing for this. the United, United Kingdom is kind of like uh, we're good, but we'll continue to send you money and things. But we have to do it a lot more of a low-key way. They send them over a boat. Uh, but slowly as the war goes on, a lot more of their uh, assistance starts pulling back. The more they can tell the Union Army is going to win this war, they're, they're going to end up getting that cotton either way. Um, and even at the end of this, uh, you can see there's a little bit of guilt or maybe regret for being caught. Uh, you could debate either way there. But the United Kingdom does give the United States a little bit of money as a kind of like an I'm sorry gift. At the, end, at the end of the war, which I, think, which I think is really important for their relationship because it does kind of patch up that hatred between the two countries and I think is a big reason why uh, in history classes we don't talk about British involvement too much in the Civil War is because that payment kind of made America go, well, okay, they didn't mean it, they weren't doing it so poorly, it was just because their economic interests were aligned with the Confederates uh, so we understand we'll move on, we don't talk about it too much. So then, have uh, yeah, a few decades later, another bit of a, of a r- repair and respect. There is a border conflict between the United Kingdom and Venezuela that's going on in the southern American continent. So obviously that falls under American terrain according to the Monroe Doctrine that they're still abiding to. Uh, and they kind of, so the United States kind of roll up and kind of start working as a, as a mediator between the two sides. And the reason this kind of helps the relationship between the United Kingdom and the United States is because the United States ends up siding with the United Kingdom, surprisingly, on, on most of the issues and gives the United Kingdom a majority of what they would like. And this ends up being a really big turning point for their relationship because they both see it as a huge win for themselves. Obviously, Venezuela doesn't, but um, Venezuela isn't really a big world power at this time. Uh, they, they haven't really made a full name for themselves. They're also still a very new country. So the United States, it kind of leans toward the United Kingdom in this aspect because for the United Kingdom, it shows that they got the land that they wanted and that the United States are starting to have their back on certain issues and will hand themselves, uh, handle themselves very respectfully in world affairs, which is a really big deal to them. And, the, and they're starting to become a little bit more leaning towards them. Uh, a lot of their interests are starting to converge now at this point. And for the United States, it shows that this major European power, the United Kingdom, uh, it respects their opinion and will will allow them to be a negotiator in the terrain that they kind of claim is up to them so that's that's a big deal they kind of that's really when the united states feels that europe is fully respecting this idea that the united states uh, is protecting the american continents that's their sphere of influence and and that is a very very big deal for the for the future because at this point we're only about 20 or 30 years away from World War One, where American soldiers and British soldiers are going to be fighting side by side as allies. So we're, we're a mere 30 years away from really this th- these two countries being very close together. So going back on what I said uh, just a bit there ago about converging interests, uh, that is really a really big turning point for their relationship on this grander screen for fighting together or pushing for the same interests in a world conflict such as the Great War, World War I. A lot of this comes down to there are a lot of different superpowers rising at this time. In in the turn from the 1800s into the 1900s, a lot is changing on, on a global political level, especially on the continent of Europe. Uh, we have countries like Germany and Italy forming, we have Russia gaining a lot of power, Austria-Hungary is starting to go through a, a bit of a transformation phase. France and Britain are getting a little bit closer, their hatred's shifting towards Germany. There's a lot happening, and the United Kingdom starts feeling like perhaps they're losing a little bit of their edge in their superiority of the entire world because of so many different superpowers rising, they're losing their colonial interests a little bit at this point. Uh, not too much, but like in the Americas, they they do feel like that's a little bit of a loss. Obviously, they still have like India, Africa, the whole gambit. Um, but, but still, there is a little bit of like, a, oh, I think we're starting to f- fall back a little bit. We need to start gaining a little bit. And a great way to do this is start being friends with somebody who perhaps you, you don't have budding interest with anymore. Somebody who you can get close to. Because obviously UK has had conflict with France, Germany, uh, Germany Russia, Italy... The, uh, the uh, all the uh, European countries are kind of conflicting over and over again because it's a very tight space and there's very limited resources there alone so the land there is is a bit of a tension and their overseas colonies are always budding against each other, different claims and such, but one person UK, the UK doesn't have that many problems with anymore or hasn't had at this point a problem with for about 50 years is the United States they start getting a little bit closer with them because the United States is you know, a whole ocean away they have their own sphere of influence that they manage themselves. Uh, the Monroe Doctrine specifically says, you know, we're not going to mess around uh, by you guys. You don't mess around by us. And the United Kingdom's kind of like, okay, they'll kind of deal with, they kind of protect Canada for us. They give a watch on them for us. And then we kind of make sure that our trade uh, is safe, you know. There's not, there's no real uh, European countries in between the United Kingdom and the United States either uh, that they really would have to worry about, especially with the United Kingdom having be such a such a powerhouse navy still at this time uh there's not really that worry anymore Um, which is why going into world war one you see america starting to lean towards uh uk obviously they have the united states have a little bit of problem with germany but not as much as a country like france or the united kingdom has so uh to sway them truly over to supporting their side takes a few things obviously germany makes several errors to try to uh Preemptively attack the United States uh, because they're afraid they're going to join the United Kingdom side, which kind of helps push uh, the United States in, going at the Zimmerman telegram, etc. Um, but what's really interesting, what sways them over, which I feel like is kind of skipped over a little bit, they kind of focus on those Germany mistakes and not so much the reasons why the United States is starting to become friends with the United Kingdom in history classes and history textbooks, is really because, again, it comes down to the economics of it. Uh, like I said before, the United Kingdom and the United States have become very big trade partners at this time. They're really starting to work a lot with just each other. Obviously, the United States is shipping all over the world, but them and the United Kingdom have like what what is continued to call a bit of a special relationship. Obviously, they speak the same language, a lot of the same customs, same culture, so it's really really easy to communicate with each other and get really good trade deals done. Um, so, if the United Kingdom and France were to have lost World War One. They most likely would have had to scale back on their trading, so that's less profit for the United States. And they are in debt to the United States already, the United Kingdom and France. So if these two countries were to lose the war, they are not paying back those debts. For the United States, that would be that would be a huge dent in, in their in their finances. So that is honestly, in my opinion, the main reason the United States, first of all, starts out with their supplies. And they're and they're kind of swaying towards the uh, the Allied powers, but really uh, they just they were just looking for that final push to convince the American public, which which comes through several means by Germany's mistakes prior to the uh, United States joining World War One, and then really after World War One, the United States, and the United Kingdom are very close. Uh, fighting that war together brought the Allied powers extremely close together i mean you look at war one and world war two the allied powers really stick together like back and forth and even to the modern day they're all still extremely close and that's just kind of what happens when you fight a war of that scale together i mean that alliance has kind of been burnt in there and that and the political dynamic they start to become very interwoven with more deals and more situations especially in the modern age the united states and the united kingdom are very very close allies uh, probably one of, if not our closest ally on the world stage, especially looking at great powers. Um so that is that that's that's that World War One is really the catalyst for the the last bit to be like, okay, this is set in stone. We are close. Because they don't really call each other allies until World War One. I. I mean even going into World War Two, we're not an official ally still, but there's such a obvious skew towards the the allies nothing that we've ever seen before like supporting an ally like that before a war or during a war uh even in world war 1 we'd send them like a little bit of things but you see the united states sending them things in world war 2 that is essentially they're essentially active in the war which is why uh you know germany's germany knows this it, the united states entering world war 2 was such a given while in world war 1 it wasn't quite a given yet uh, maybe in germany 's as it was, but i don 't think for a lot of people it was the same way uh, United States entering World War II looking back on it, it was such an obvious meant to be thing happening, which just shows the closer dynamic between the United Kingdom and the United States so the reason this relationship is so important even uh, look, uh, like outside looking in, if you 're not the United States and not not the United Kingdom. The reason this is such an important thing is it shows the difference between diplomacy shifts. Uh, in the more modern age compared to how it used to be. I mean, we, have, we go from a time where the United Kingdom and France uh, fight a hundred years war, and that is a, a huge thing where they're going back and forth and back and forth, and that the diplomacy doesn't change, and that's just a little skirmish in the larger grand scheme of the United Kingdom and France being the most bitter rival possible, and that's kind of how diplomacy worked, till now we shift forward to the more modern age, where diplomacy changes so much more frequently... Uh, we go from the War of 1812, in obviously 1812 to 1814, to fighting alongside them in a trench only 100 years later in World War I in 19, from 1914 to 1918. I mean, it's such a quick, I mean, uh, obviously uh, the United States doesn't join till later, but still, uh, it, it's a little, a very slight bit above 100 years over. That is insane uh, if you're looking back on it from a historical perspective. A lot of this has to do with faster communication, quicker changing dynamics, uh, more players on the field uh, geopolitically. And there's so much going into it, but the more rapid change of diplomacy and opinions with each other is something that's really important and I think is, is excellently showed uh, in, the, in the United States and the United Kingdom's relationship. It's it's a relationship like no other. I mean, obviously, these are two extremely close nations. I mean, uh, the, United, the United States is, speaks the same language, same culture, same customs. I mean, if, you, uh, if an American goes to, to Great Britain, they understand a lot more what's going on. They feel a, bit, a lot more at home than if they were to go somewhere even just like France or, or Germany. Um, honestly, even like Mexico. I mean, the United Kingdom is a very, very close to the United States, and I think that's why they have become a little bit more natural allies after being able to get past the small conflict uh, in, the, in their early relationship. And I think that's, that's a really good telling for how uh, diplomacy has to work nowadays. It's You can't hold on to a grudge as long as you used to be able to. Uh, You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to take who you can. You have to be able to work with who you can, make as much money as you can. It's just a very different world than we saw a few hundred years ago. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it happens. That's how we become a lot closer with one another, the United States and the United Kingdom. And I think it's something that's really kind of skipped over in history classes here in America. I don't know how it is over in the United Kingdom. I assume it's a little bit similar. But they don't really go into too much details about how we go from. You know, in the first few chapters, Great Britain's our biggest rival, and then you 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 don't really hear about them too much in the middle, and then at the end we're just best friends, and they they don't really explain how this build up happens, and I think a lot of people don't even give it too much thought. But when you think about it, I mean, they were lined up to be our biggest rivals. Our first two wars, they were the main, they were the main bad guy for America. I mean, it, it was big. I mean, obviously, like I said, it started off like, oh, do we do we like them? Do we not? And then it was like, oh, we definitely don't. And then it was like, ah, I don't know. I guess we kind of like them. Oh, no, we don't. Yeah, we do. No, we don't. Okay, yeah, no, I like these guys. These guys are doing something good for us. And I think it comes down to economics, culture, and proximity. They're not that close to each other. When you don't have a border with someone, it's very, very easy to be friendly with them. I mean, obviously, nowadays, we like to pretend that you know, we're, we're friendly with everyone that's on our borders. But, I mean, borders cause conflicts and the moment the united states and the united kingdom didn't have a border and the united kingdom was kind of like okay i'm cool with that then that 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 that's a big thing culture obviously we've been over that a few times now very very similar that's big and economics is always the biggest driving force force here in geopolitics and those trade deals that are able to work out because easy communication and easy transfer of goods i mean that becomes big and the more technology progressed and the quicker it was able to cross that pond i mean it, it was an unstoppable relationship and it probably will be for the foreseeable future so yeah that's where i'm going to end it today uh i hope you guys enjoyed uh this has been Histopali. i've been will it's been great once again uh I mentioned that Patreon earlier. If you want to look it up, Histopoly, check it out. If you want to give, thank you so much. If you don't, hey, it's totally fine. These are always going to be available for you guys for free and I, and I really appreciate just giving us a listen. Uh, if you want to communicate with me more, get a little bit more into discussions, you can check out our socials. We got our Facebook page, Histopoly, Twitter, Histopoly, and Instagram, Histopoly. Feel free to reach out, talk to us, whatever it is. Uh, give us some recommendations, uh, new things we can do in the future. We're thinking about starting another sideline here where we might have an interview maybe every other episode interview normal lecture like this uh whatever you guys feel whatever you want uh just reach out talk to us we're always open to talk to you guys we love it so yeah thank you so much for listening once again and hopefully you'll be back soon so please give us that follow on whatever you're watching this and uh hey can't wait to see you next time